Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. AM 1420 WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. And I'm going to say, first of all, I'll say good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast on this Halloween Eve edition. And what a spooktacular show we have planned for you tonight with our guest, psychic Jackie Barrett, who is going to share with us some of the amazing details of her career uh, and especially the case of Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr., the Amityville Horror Murders, uh, the, the the case that kind of started it all for a number of paranormal investigators, the one that first drew their interest. But uh, before we get into that, there's been some weird things that have happened uh, to our friend Chris Balzano, the content director for Spooky South Coast this week, in the booking of this program. Uh, there uh, has been a lot of... Uh, negative things that have happened uh, as a result of talking about this case uh, with with Jackie, with people she knows, and now with Chris. And now we have all these problems here trying to get the show to open up with the, the audio. And I don't know, maybe we're just in – we had trouble getting the camera set up here on Fate Radio. So I think maybe we're in for a, uh, a very uh, spooktacular night <laughs> and maybe not in such a good way. So – I am Tim Weisberg. With me is Matt Costa, the silent assassin, science advisor. Matt Moniz is not here. I, I don't know what's going on because I thought he was going to be here. I don't know what happened. What about you, Matt? Do you know, did he say to you what he had he, planned? He didn't. He's uh, he's kind of a mysterious guy. So. He is. Some, so. I, he may have quit the show and I just don't know it. Because he's been here like uh, intermittently over the last few weeks. So, last few months. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe he actually like put in his notice and i just didn't get the memo <laughs> i don't know maybe we'll find out well if that's the case uh that then you know we can absolutely we can absolutely he's probably, he's probably playing drums somewhere keep him he's the probably doors a gig. yeah that's true that's probably what he's doing he's probably playing at some bar down there yeah. left the rest of the evps behind <laughs> all right so uh like i said we're gonna have a, a really good really good show for you tonight um I'm excited about this because I have not had the chance to talk to Jackie Barrett myself yet, uh, but I have heard great things about her work uh, from Chris Balzano and, of course, from watching her on uh, the Bio Channel on uh, Medium PI and uh, seeing her work on America's Psychic Challenge. So uh, it's going to be great talking with her and finding out more about her, her work, and some some of the darker things that she delves into because. She talks to people that you or I might not want to uh, ever have communication with, and she actually gives them guidance, you know, spiritual guidance. So we're going to talk with her uh, about that. So what else can we let people know here on the eve of Halloween, Macos? Is is there anything going on tomorrow related to books uh, that might have been written by Spooky South Coast? I I heard there's something going on in Fall River. Yes, tomorrow at the Fall River Historical Society, I'll be... Signing the Ghosts of the South Coast for the last time in October, because it's the last day, from uh, noon until 2.30. If you want to come on down to the Fall River Historical Society on Rock Street in Fall River, uh, I'll be there. And I'll be happy to sign your book and and share with you uh, whatever ghostly encounters you might want to pass on. And that's kind of a 
unique that the Historical Society in Fall River is bringing someone like you, <laughs> paranormal-wise. So, so, oh, okay. Like, I thought you meant like <laughs> someone like me, like like Jewish. <gasps> no. <laughs> no, no, seriously. Because uh, usually the, they don't uh, or they tend not to embrace that side of it, it, it is. It, it's it's yeah. interesting because we've been trying to push this down their throats for so long, and I think now they realize, well, it's Halloween, and you know the book has a lot of history, so we'll give it a try. So we're hoping that you know we pack the place. So if you haven't had a chance to get the book, even if you have, and you just want to pick up another copy for someone, maybe give it as a Christmas gift. Please come down and show the Fall River Historical Society just how much the paranormal is a part of the fabric of this area. And uh, I had a great time today at the old company store, signing books and meeting with people and. Uh, I also talked to them a little bit about the ghosts that they have there, too. They call him Mr. Kenyon. So uh, I definitely want to get a chance to go there and investigate. And We've got some plans for that whole area of Wareham coming up soon, so hopefully uh, we can add Mr. Kenyon to the list of ghosts that we explore down there. And uh, Ghost Lab, of course, aired the other night on the Lizzie Borden case. and um, Yeah, so that's uh, that happened. <laughs> that was a real thing. It happened, yeah. and I, I think I may be contractually obligated not to disparage it. So uh, we'll just leave it at that. Well, I didn't see it, so I can't well. comment. <laughs> well, you need to watch it because uh, you, you're the only one of our three-person panel that did not sign So I could paperwork. comment. So you could comment. Um, if you want, I could write a bunch of things down and you could say them. <laughs> say, this is totally me, Matt Costa, in no way influenced by Tim Weisberg. So. But... Uh, uh, I mean, what else? I mean, we've got a big Halloween holiday happening tomorrow. I think this Patriots game happening on Halloween has kind of thrown a lot of people off. Yeah. You know, they're so wrapped up in making sure that they can watch the game. They're forgetting that, like, trick-or-treaters are going to be coming to the door. But uh, there's there's definitely going to be uh, a lot of stuff going on all day long. So come on down to the book signing, and then you can go to parties and go to different events. But, you know, the book signing is definitely the most important thing, most important yeah. part of your day. Seems like everybody has a uh, a ghost walk this year. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many more of them popping up. And if you can't make it to Fall River tomorrow and you do want to pick up a signed copy of the book, you can come down here to the studio and get them, especially like during the news break or right after the show. I do have some in the car. I'd be glad to sign them for you. We have T-shirts, Spooky South Coast T-shirts that everybody's been waiting for are now for sale, uh, so you can get those as well. Books are $20. T-shirts are $20. Uh, we can't really sign the T-shirts because they're black. They don't work out so well, but I'll be glad to sign the book. Why don't we take this call real quick before we get into things with Jackie Barrett. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? Good evening, gentlemen. How are you? Oh, just fine. I want to relate a story to you that I got from the first hand, from the person it happened to. Okay. Okay. Uh, you guys are all familiar, uh, you're all familiar with what used to be Gulf Hill Dairy. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, one of the things they did there was when they broke the milk crates, which were made out of wood, you know, in the old days, they used to take them way out into the end of the field, and they used to stack them back there. Well, this gentleman that I know, that was part of his job. He used to put them in an old pickup truck, drive across the field, and stack them up. One day he's stacking milk crates, and he sees this guy coming out of the woods, uh, which he didn't think very much about, you know, just a guy coming out of the woods, except that he noticed that he didn't seem like he was walking. <laughs> he was moving, but not walking. Wow. And as he passed by him, he said, good day to run the dogs, and he kept on going. Wow. 
he said, you know something? Number one, I didn't see no damn dogs. And then I paid close attention. He wasn't walking. He was moving, but not walking. He said, I got in that pickup truck, and I tore out of there as fast as that thing would go. And after that, he refused to do that job again. Take the milk crates back to the end of the field. (laughs) Did he ever say if this is something that other people had reported seeing too? I never got that clear from him. He said, I know I saw him because he walked right by me. Well, he glided right by me. That's amazing. Nice day to run the dogs. You know, there's so many spirits that are seen by people, but to actually have them, you know, turn and say something to you is uh, even more fascinating. And I heard it, and I take him seriously because he's not one of these guys to joke around about something like that. And so I said, so, uh, did you ever see me again? He said, don't know, never went back there again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for calling and sharing. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Well, if you'd like to join in during the discussion tonight with Jackie Barrett, the numbers are 508-996-0500, You can also email us, SpookyCrew, at SpookySouthCoast.com. And, of course, the chat room is up and running at Fate Radio. Just go to FateMag.com slash Fate Radio. Actually, you can just go to FateMag.com, and you'll see it right there. Uh, you can also go to SpookySouthCoast.com as well, and we have a link up there for Fate Radio. So, uh, again, you know, during the course of this discussion, we're going to talk about a number of uh, elements of, of Jackie Barrett's work, uh, and we're going to talk about, in particular, the DeFeo case, the the real story behind the Amityville Horror. And Jackie is close to, to Ron DeFeo, so she knows more about this story than I think any of these other, you know, so-called experts on the case that you see on TV on all these different specials. She's actually going to give us a preview of an upcoming special tomorrow night that's going to air, that's going to actually have all new, brand-new information uh, that is going to just shock the world for everybody that pays attention to this case. So uh, we will take a break right now. When we come back, we will talk with Jackie Barrett. And Chris Balzano, our content director, is going to join us as well uh, to help in... Uh, speaking with Jackie, he's good friends with her, and he knows her uh, better than we, so he's going to join us as well. And but Because, it, you know, it wouldn't be Halloween either if we didn't have Chris here on the show. Uh, he contributed to last year's Halloween show, which Fate Magazine is going to be rerunning on their website tomorrow. So if you go to FateMag.com, you'll be able to catch our War of the Worlds 2009 edition. So, All right, stay tuned. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa. Science advisor Matt Moniz is out in the field tonight. 
so joining us on the line, we have content director for Spooky South Coast and SpookySouthCoast.com, Christopher Balzano. Uh, good evening, Chris. Happy pre-Halloween to you. Thank you very much. Weren't we talking about uh, maybe a half hour ago how people are mistaking you for Matt Moniz? Yeah, but uh, they won't mistake you after this show because I expect that you're actually going to talk a lot more than he usually does <laughs> and probably not uh, fall asleep behind the mic. And uh, we are also pleased to have with us on the line Jackie Barrett. For more than 24 years, Jackie's been a psychic medium, well known publicly for her appearances on America's Psychic Challenge and on her own show, Medium P.I. It's Jackie's work away from the cameras that proves she's a real deal. She is bonded by several district attorneys across the country and has worked with law enforcement officials on the city, state, and federal level as a psychic consultant on many cases. She's even been awarded a captain's badge from a New York City police captain for her work on a case. She's also the author of the number one best-selling book, The House That Kay Built, and she's joining us tonight for the first time. Good evening, Jackie. Thank you for coming on the show. Hey, how are you? Happy oh. Devil's Night. Oh, we, are, we are spooktacular, as we say here, and, and <laughs> doing it on Devil's Night is even more spooktacular. You know it. So, uh, and, and I want to thank Chris for uh, allow, you know making the connection for us to have you on Uh uh, you guys go way back, right? Didn't you investigate Lizzie Borden's house with Chris? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and I have my own theories uh, about what goes on there, but uh, what did you get from Lizzie Borden's house? Um, I think I want to say the maid. The maid had something to do with it. Uh, there was a lot of things happening that evening uh, during the seance, but um, I, I remember distinctly that there was, an older woman, um, to put it mildly, uh, that had company that evening, and it was indeed the maid. Well, I know that she's a very suspicious character and everything because of her reluctance to talk about the case afterwards. Yeah. So, hey, Jackie, how are you doing tonight? This is Chris. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm, I'm cool. Excellent, excellent. It's good to hear from you. So, Same here. Hey, what's interesting about, about that woman is... Um, you know, we think of Bridget as being this really old woman because she's a maid, and and uh, and I would say that during that seance, and and the pictures of it are up on my website. Um, the woman who had a visitor, as you say, seemed to de-age about yeah. twenty, thirty years during the course of that seance, and and I've actually have pictures of a kind of a before and after shot of her. Yeah, do you agree with that? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. It was. It was quite fascinating because um, folks were, you know, getting sick around the table and some people had to leave and uh, come back and, um, you know, we asked them to, uh, to just stick around and, you know, experience what was uh, happening there and try to, try to realize that, you know, um, you will have effects, but, you know, they will also leave. Um, but, you know, fear struck people uh, as well as uh, some demons and spirits and some other things. And what a lot of people feel, uh, fear, uh, feel to realize is that out of fear, um, they're missing something. Uh, you know, whenever there's a murder, especially something as gruesome as this, you know, there is another door that opens and other entities are around this. So you're going to have many guests. And I remember that woman distinctly. She actually wrote me a few times and she wanted to talk about her experience. But it was it was something I'll always remember. 
Well, it's interesting that you mentioned demons there. Because I think that there's something uh, a little bit more negative than just the board and ghosts uh, on that property. And I mean, I have no abilities whatsoever, but I just know that in the dealings that I've had with it, it doesn't seem to be to me like it's a, a human, a human entity. It seems like it's something that's you know not, um, you know, not uh, looking for demonic possession, but it just seems to be something that feeds off the negative vibes there, and it, it gets a lot of it from everybody coming in and talking about the murder. It's def- There was definitely you know a few things that were menacing, and and I saw you know I sit back and. And as much as I like to join a party and laugh and uh, and have some fun, I sit back and I watch, you know, the different changes in personalities in people and also facial expressions. And, um, you know, this um, took a life of its own. So, yes, there is a, a very dark energy around that house. I mean, I personally experienced some things that I... I didn't uh, share with the folks that night. I wanted to hear their experiences. And it was, I believe I went upstairs to take a nap. They gave me, I I, want to say the, um, I remember it being like an attic room. Mm -hmm. And it was supposed to be like, you know, nobody wanted to sleep in there and, and go in there. So I decided to, you know, pull the cot out and take a take a snooze, and there was some things happening uh, to me in that house that, you know, a ghost wouldn't per se do. There was um, the blanket was pulled off me. I pulled it back on and I sat up and I looked around. It definitely wanted me out, you know. And I, I there was a bad smell that came around. So there is something that happens around such a, you know, a hideous crime as this, you know, and I see it more often than not. And your your better half also had a uh, an experience, I believe, where um, he had paralysis. Yeah, there was there was quite a few things. Old Mister Will was failing, and <laughs> you know he's uh, he's a big person, and when you see this happening. You know, to a big guy, it's, uh, you know, I, I sort of laugh at it a little bit, too. And, uh, you know, to see him charging down the stairs and, you, you know, seeing something different happening in the mirror, um, you know, um, just a lot of things. Actually, there was a very strange thing that happened was that I didn't tell anybody I was going there, meaning clients and what have you. Mm-hmm. And I, there was this young kid who showed up college kid, I believe he was going to film school, and he had made reservations to stay at the house that evening, and I had no idea. He had no idea I was coming, and I saw him, and I remember his name was Jonathan, and I saw him walk um, into the house, and he was he's artsy and um, very creative, and uh, he locked himself in the bedroom, and you know, he was doing things that were out of character, and I knew this because he was my client. So there were some things that were going on in the house. Uh, somebody else wrote me there uh, from the house and said that I was actually haunting the house at one time. Really? Yeah, and I felt that, you know, I, I, maybe I left something there. You know, we all leave something. 
behind. Speaking of leaving things at the Lizzie Borden house, uh, would you feel comfortable talking about the little girl you might have left there? Absolutely. Absolutely. There, I remember at the end of the evening, um, I was talking to Leanne, the one who owns the place, mm. and, you know, we were walking around the house, and I said to her, I left a book. I left a house that Kate built. And I told her, I said, I left something for you to read. And I said, maybe the house wants it. And, you know, this, there is this little girl that always followed me around. And it's a, a very, it's a very unique type of uh, thing that has happened. But actually, I often see this little girl because she comes to me all the time. And this little girl happens to be myself. And whenever I have, uh, I don't dream unless something is going to happen. And that's, I guess, you know, something that, uh, you know, it's a give and take world. Mm. You, you don't do things and have things that the norm does. But whenever this small child sits on the bed in the midst of one of my dreams, I know to follow her. So there was this child going around the house, and, and they called me a few times. And, you know, there was in any pictures posted of me as a child. And actually, I don't, um, not one, four pictures. So there's not too many up there. Whenever somebody wants a picture, I'll tell them to just, you know, take it off the web, whatever you have up there. And uh, there was, um, they said there was a haunting of a child. The book seemed to move around by itself. Uh, I, I believe they told you some things, Chris, about it. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that, that we had talked about was that you were working on, and I'm not sure how much you can get into this case, but you were working on um, another murder case of a little girl who had been killed. Exactly. I, and I believe it was in Pennsylvania. Exactly. It was Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and whether she befriended this little, this other little spirit that would come around, and it, it, it's such a, a profound story on how I started seeing myself as this younger child, but also this little girl, and I'll say her name, Tamara. Um, they seemed to befriend each other, and Tamara was taken a liking to the house, uh, to say the least. So, and then right after, right after that, not knowing there was a, a um, that backstory, there was a person who was working there who I believe was in high school, right? Um, and he would read to the children mm -hmm. specifically. And one of the books uh, that he was reading to the children was your book, not knowing who you were or the fact that you had even been there. Uh, Jackie, I was I was just at the house last week. And uh, would you like to know where the book is now? Yeah. It's actually in the toy box in that third floor room, the one with the chimney in it. Uh, it is now uh, the the children, the supposed spirits of the children who were murdered next door uh, prior to the Bordens living in the house have now claimed it as their own, and they keep it uh, with their toys in the chest. Wow. That's so profound. That is something else. That's um, truly something else. And when I saw and just it so in people there, know, the house the Kate built is not a children's book. 
Exactly. But they've they've made a connection with it because uh, when I walked in there and I opened it up and I said, "Oh my gosh, this is Jackie's book," and it, it kind of hit me, you know, knowing that story from uh, from Chris's website, I, it kind of hit me that, you know, they had kind of taken that over as their own. Well, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of things around that book. You know, the book was supposed to be 288 pages, and I wanted it put out in 200, actually, 88 pages. Excuse me, and I withheld the 200, uh, whether it was going to be put out later on or not. Um, I didn't decide on that, but a lot in that book is true, and there was a lot of things I couldn't say back then about that story, and some people tried to figure it out. You know, it sort of became like a Pandora's box, but... There is some things in there that are definitely true, uh, like that cat in there um, that came in the form of a demon. You know that was always around. You know I saw that plenty of times. The first apartment building I ever lived in was so haunted. The things that I saw, uh, it takes a lot to rattle me, mm-hmm. and it it. It ran me out. It definitely ran me out. There was things that happened you just can't explain. And I and I know it takes on to its own road and it's sort of twisting and turning, but that's the... Um, this has only happened to me once. And I remember lying in bed in that apartment and... I knew there was a murder that took place there, but coming back from Haiti and being a missionary, you couldn't be too picky because of the price of rent. So you had to think, I'm a very practical person as well, and, you know, I tried to make peace what was ever in there, and uh, it just didn't extend its hand. So I remember laying on the bed, and... I felt myself go all the way up to the ceiling, and very calmly, I wasn't panicky, I wasn't, at that point, I just remember saying, I don't want to die. And I, I never really shared this story with, you know, with many people, I mean, my family knows about it, but there was somebody else in the house when it happened. And I came back down. Before I came back down, I remember flipping over and seeing myself lying in bed. And as I came back down, I jumped up and I couldn't breathe. And I ran to the window. I opened and it was snowing out. And I opened up the window and I was trying to get air. And I couldn't, that's when it all started. I just, you know, I, I honestly couldn't believe that happened. And I would wake up around the same time every night, and I had this little plug-in digital clock, and it was about maybe 1.30 in the morning, 2 o'clock, and I would always look in this little vestibule area, and I would have such fear come over me, and I would just stare and stare at this one place, and I knew that's where the fellow had hung himself. 
And then there was a murder prior to that. I mean, this is, you know, New York City, and the, these apartments have a history of, of their own, you know, and uh, it was a crime scene at one time, but, you know, it was, uh, it was affordable, and I needed shelter, so it was mine. And there was some very, very strange things that would happen. You know, I remember seeing myself in the mirror in the bathroom and looking away to grab a towel from behind me and coming, turning around. I didn't see myself turning back around. I saw myself still there. Oh, wow. You know, it was very, very frightening. It was very frightening. And so many times I remember running in from work. Literally, I would stay late. I mean, I'm known to be a workaholic. But um, I would come in last minute, never, I didn't even want to eat in that place, nothing, just sleep. And I would come in and run from the door, from the front door. It was a railroad apartment. And I would run myself right to that bedroom, and I would go under the covers. And, I mean, sweating like a bandit, man, and I was I would stay under those covers until I fell asleep from exhaustion. That's that's a lot because I've seen a lot. So the 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 feeling in there was of doom. That's the only thing that's the only way I can describe a doom and something was definitely waiting for you. But there was a lot of things like that. You know, just, um, you know, like I said, I knew what had happened. The price was right. And, you know, it was coming into winter into New York. And, um, you know, there's a reason for everything. Maybe I was supposed to be there and, mm-hmm. and see these things. And, you know, and the last day I was there, I was packing up. I was sitting on a couch. And I have a very good friend of mine. Uh, priest, and I, I actually called him up and had a long conversation with him about something I had seen uh, an hour prior, and that was, and that was before the phone was going to get shut down, the alarm system. I was moving. I, um, I saw this big sort of glob of smoke, and it was probably grayish-black, and it just moved very slowly past me. I was sitting on a couch, and it went under the table, past the boxes that were going to uh, be taken out for moving, and into the next apartment. And I don't remember what I did. I knew I was fear. Fear came into me. I knew I was scared, but I wound up calling him an hour, about an hour later, and then he said, you know, let's try to break it down. Was it um, from the TV set? Was there a haze coming in? Uh, there was one little window. I was in the back, and there was no, uh, in the living room, there was one window, and there was no TV set. I didn't have a television, and I knew what I saw. And I just, you know, I sort of felt bad for the people who had moved in after me. 
but there was some pretty scary things. I I heard something nodding outside the, the door, and this was all the same day that I was waiting for the movers. So, indeed, there was uh, something very sinister in that place. Well, we're talking with psychic medium Jackie Barrett, and, and Jackie, it seems like these... These entities, uh, for some reason, they're attracted to you or you're attracted to them. Well, I was trying to mind my business and, you know, do my work. And um, I was saving to uh, purchase a home and I was working a lot of overtime. And so, you know, I didn't uh, have time for friends like that. But uh, <laughs> but I certainly, um, you know, no matter which way it goes, it's still there. And, you know, I've never went out of my way to, you know, make this type of friendship. Uh, it's not something anybody wants to mess with, that I can tell you. I mean, I know this firsthand. But, you know, when you... When you are faced with it, you know, the, the stronger must not walk away. Because when you do, you see, that's just a test for what's to come. How do you prepare yourself to deal with it then? Well, it's sort of like the schoolyard bully, you know. I mean, there's only so many times you're going to give your lunch money up. Mm-hmm. You know, and growing up with five brothers, you sort of get to know how to take care of yourself. Sure. <laughs> so, you know, the the best thing to do is, um, and I'm not saying, you know, I don't feel fair, but showing it and turning your back. If you turn, you see, if the bully is going to come at you, he's going to come at you head on. If you turn your back, you can't get that knife out. That's a, I mean, that's the truth. I mean, and I guess if you are going to deal with these, these types of entities, uh, once once they you know once they know how, um, you're going to confront them, then I I guess they kind of look at you and say, all right, maybe she's not the one that I want to mess with. Well, maybe it's a challenge, or you know, it's uh, let's see how far we can take this. You know, I mean, I've seen a lot. Ever since I was a child, you know, I um, I found some things out. You know, you're never too old to learn anything. And I always say you have two ears and one mouth, and I take everything in. And, you know, I sort it out, and, and it is what it is. You know, there's, there's something a lot stronger than what we know of. And, you know, there are some people that can go into this realm, be it they're allowed, or it's their familiar. And, you know, there's there's also a huge cultural uh, difference, you know. Coming from Louisiana as a child, you know, here in New York and in other states, it's different. Louisiana is a world of its own. You know, I, I've witnessed um, people doing uh, rituals, 
right in the church in Louisiana, in the Catholic Church. And it's okay. Like voodoo rituals? Exactly. And, you know, people have this conception of voodoo, uh, you know, as uh, we stick a pin in something and therefore you have the pain where that pin is. But it goes a lot deeper than that. I mean, you know, in theory it means in the spirit of God. So everything has to do with the spirit and honoring the spirit. You know, so you use these um, veves and items for protection, you know, for never, never for self, um, to bring on self-worth because the price is too high to pay and never to harm someone. Because you don't want you don't want a voodooist, you want a hitman. Mm. <laughs> so don't work that way. But in any event, we take the dead very serious in Louisiana. We praise them. That's why it's a jazz funeral. The bishop and priest will come out and dance along with the first and second line and the folks raising their umbrellas. Yeah, so it, it's a whole different atmosphere. It's right. a whole different world. So here, you know, it's um, it's a, it's just a little bit different. And, you know, so it's a cultural thing. But, you know, when people see what I have when they come to my place, they, they don't realize uh, behind every picture there's a spell. And behind every spell, there's a meaning. So it's, you know, if you take anything, it's at your own risk. Oh, we're going to we're gonna skip the news, actually, tonight, because this discussion is so fascinating. We're going to give everybody a treat here, and we're going to skip the news. We might get in trouble from the station higher-ups. But one thing we do have to do, <laughs> we do have to pause 10 seconds for station identification, so let's do that right now. With local news, talk, and sports, this is WBSM New Bedford, Citadel Broadcast. You cut short the station ID. Now you're going to get in trouble, Matt Costa. But, uh, yeah, let's definitely uh, continue with this discussion because, I mean... This is the first time in five years at least that you've done this. Yeah. But I know it's, though. Chuck, you should feel honored. (laughs) It's, It's one of those things, though, where, you know, like... Uh, sometimes you just know that having to take that break is, is going to, you know, it's just going to take everybody out of what we're talking about. And, and uh, I definitely don't want to lose that. So uh, when we're talking about the idea of the, the voodoo being able to go alongside the regular Catholic services, it, it, are there instances that you've encountered where some of the what are perceived as darker belief systems can actually coexist with what are considered more uh, more in the light? Well, you know, I never want to call it more in the light, um, maybe more traditional or more acceptable. You know, we, we tend to believe that, you know, there's, we like to section everything off. Mm-hmm. And in our society, we do. We section the rich from the poor. We section the light from the dark, you know. And once you open the door, 
once you make contact, you're already on the other side. So it's not all candy and gumdrops falling. Mm-hmm. You are going to encounter many things. Not everything is, you know, sweet. So we, we have to accept that, you know, there is, there is a line. And once it is crossed, that is it. Do you, that remember, is it. Do you, you remember when you first crossed that line, or was it uh, voluntarily? Or well, you, you know, it's. Um, I think we all do. You know, we we all between paranormal investigators. You know, you people want to see. They want. They want. They want to believe in something, and then when they see it, they must label it. Is it evil or is it good or you know, there are things that I came across that are good, but menacing. There are, <clears throat> excuse me, children that um, have passed, and I have many of their belongings in my office that I'm sitting around right now, and they'll, you know, little menacing things. I've seen my cat go up in the air and hear children laughing, and uh, I leave toys around also to honor them, you know, so they're not forgotten. So that is the line that we've crossed. We've went into their space. So therefore, we have to accept what they are telling us. It doesn't mean we have to be part of it, but we have to accept it. And we, we have to do it with a respect. It's very important. I'm, I see now a lot of, you know, paranormal shows that are out there, and I just don't get it. Mm-hmm. I don't get, you know, the yelling and the screaming, demanding of showing yourself. If I was the spirit, I would sit back, and then after packing up, I'd give you a good kick in the ass. <laughs> Because I don't, you know, it's not handled with respect. It's it's more of everything has to be an outrage. Everything has to be uh, shocking, shock TV, you know. So when these people really come across something, you know, which I, I don't feel a lot of them have, but if you come across something, you wouldn't be acting like that. You would take a much humble approach and think twice because you are not going to cross that two-way street with a blindfold on. That's a good analogy. What, what I think, though, is that what was a technique for paranormal investigation, the idea of provocation, the idea of trying to raise the eye of the spirits, you know, that was something that was used as a technique to try to get interaction when there maybe wasn't interaction happening and instead so many of them have kind of taken and i do it i mean i've i've done that um, i do it all the time at the lizzie borden house but what is supposed to be a technique has now become people's approach and people's style and uh, they're not doing it for the spirit they're doing it for the camera exactly exactly my point this is this is just it they're doing 
See, people do things for ratings. They do things for TV. I have, you know, gotten upset at the spirit, but I also know that, you see, we're in their boxing ring now. The rules change. And I like to sit back and let it happen because you're so busy yelling and screaming and people cutting themselves to do, I saw some crazy stuff on TV, uh, to do a ritual that doesn't really even exist because I know voodoo rituals. And if you go there and, and do this, you may be inhabited by the end of the evening, but you put your head in a lion's mouth. You shall get bit. And you don't, you can call it out, you can challenge certain spirits, but do not demand from the other side, because I tell you why. There's no time. There's no clock over there. I've been there and I saw it. There's no clock. It will come back to you. You will, sooner or later, get it head on. It will come right up into your face and let you know that it's alive and well. And now what are you going to do? The cameras are off. <laughs> right? That's true, yeah. Your buddy's not by you. The cameras are off. I like to go with a much smoother approach and on the terms of the spirit, you know, to let them know. I mean, if somebody was, if, if you're going to come to me, demand something from me, most likely you're not going to get it. But if you come to me on a level of honesty and respect, I will do everything in my power to, to give you what you need or want. And then we should deal with the spirits the same way. Exactly. I mean, I like Christopher's approach. I turned down a lot of paranormal groups. I like um, the way he handled things. You know, he sort of sat back, watched, and let it unfold, but with a very keen eye. He was very, not just respectful, but also um, like a reporter. You know, he took it in without making a nuisance of himself, he understood, he knew what was going on, and then when he had to act, you act. You know, when you need to sit back, you sit back. And there was no hokey stuff, there's no strings, there's no this, there's no that. Whatever happened in that house was real. See, Chris, we're not the only ones that think you're great. Yeah, I know. There you go. <laughs> all right. Well, why don't we take a break? Uh, we'll take, uh, and I think we can probably burn all of our commercials and then go commercial free the rest of the way because I do want to get into this new uh, Amityville special that's coming up tomorrow night. Amityville: The Final Testament. Uh, it's going to be on A and E at 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. And being someone who is fascinated by this case and has been for years, I definitely want to get into some of the uh, uh, stuff we're going to discuss in, in terms of that and and the. 
I, I can tell you that the one thing that we haven't covered, Jackie, out of all the topics that I've ever wanted to talk about here on this show, the one thing that we have not delved into is the Amityville case, and especially from the DeFeo side. And that's because we never felt that we could get the right person to come on that could actually share uh, you know, Ron DeFeo's actual views oh. of what happened. So I think with you, we've we found the right person. Oh, thank you. All right, so we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll get into all that and a lot more. And you can call in with any questions you might have, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. Email SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com or jump into the chat room at Fate Radio on FateMag.com. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. Slicing and dicing there over on the board. Matt, what are you going as for Halloween? I don't know yet. You're coming, uh, surprise. You're coming to the haunted yard, right? Yeah. All right, I'll excellent. And then it's going to be a night of rock band and everything else, but I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna let everybody play rock band in the other room, uh, you know, because I'm going to go into my office and I'm going to watch uh, Amityville, the final chapter, when it airs tomorrow at 8 on A&E, because... This is the case that I've always been the most fascinated with. And we have Chris Balzano, our content director, joining us on the line as we speak with Jackie Barrett, uh, psychic medium, author of The House That Kay Built. I can tell you, Jackie, that people in the chat room on Spooky South Coast's uh, Fate, Fate Magazine, Fate Radio broadcast here are already sc- scrambling to go try and get copies of the book. And <laughs> and uh, I, I want to ask you, how uh, I know that you've, Worked with a number of uh, uh, a number of people who we would consider to be, you know, just criminals, people that we wouldn't want to associate. And for some reason, uh, they're drawn. They make a connection with you. Well, I've worked with the captain of New York City, um, and he couldn't come out until he retired. But of course, to the public, but. In, as far as in the uh, police station and the uh, cold case squad, you know, I, I've been his partner for over, I don't know, maybe 18 years now. Wow. And when he retired, we decided to go into a private eye business together. And that's how Medium PI came about. And... For some reason, I knew that wasn't going to work. I I actually wanted to get away from murder and crime, but you know, it's um, it's. I guess you're you're a very good source. It's like looking through a crystal ball for them, you know, to come up with these answers. And you know, they've nicknamed me the Dexter of psychics and. You know, the person, the, the fearless one that would go into the morgue and find the DNA I need to find um, to pursue a case, to open it, uh, to make it an active uh, homicide on a desk. There's over probably um, close to 300, over 300,000 unsolved cases. So... You know, my job was 
to see what I can reopen and find the evidence and go out there and, you know, put it out there. And then when we became uh, partners in this uh, PI business, I was always the captain's partner, and he wasn't only of uh, cold cases. He was the commissioner of homicide as well, Um, you know, head of hostage negotiation also. So, and I got to of course, be familiar with the DAs and, you know, many, many different parts of law enforcement when people wanted me to uh, talk up about it or when they found a little something out, I wasn't allowed. I mean, you are not allowed. You know, this active cases are called active cases for reasons. And many of them go unsolved because of, you know, people slipping and letting perpetrators know uh, you're on their tail. So, you know, I would have to take a lot of guff and, um, you know, just uh, swallow it and keep moving on. And that was fine with me. But, you know, that's, uh, it's been no, no mystery. I mean, I've been working on cases um, ever since I was a teenager. So, you know, it's um, it's second nature to me. It's it's very easy. I don't need. I never I never got the idea how psychics, um, you know, put their hands on pictures or touch clothing. They say they get vibrations. I'm not sure where these vibrations come from. Uh, it's not how I work. You know, I don't need items. I don't need uh, pictures. I just, you know, have the uh, remaining family members talk about anything but the case. And probably about 15 or 20 minutes, and then I can tell you if it was a homicide, suicide, or uh, something other, maybe an accident. Or And it just kind of comes to you? Well, you, you know, it's um, I start seeing... You know, there's a method to this for me. Um, first, you know, first of all, if it's uh, a suicide, they sort of take their time a little bit and they stay back from me. Um, a homicide comes through as showing me the events prior to the crime. And natural death shows me right away. So be it they were more accepted of their natural illness uh, that, or, you know, that brought on the death and, and or knew being murdered is a surprise. And it's also very hurtful. And there's a lot of times the person, the spirit doesn't want to admit um, to the crime and it's too painful for them as well. So they show me other things first. It could be a birthday party, an event, their favorite clothes that they were wearing, you know, something. Um, but I, you know, I know how to open a case. So when you're working with police and you're, you're kind of 
dealing with uh, a lot of these types of cases. How do you go from doing that to uh, becoming a confidant of somebody like Ron DeFeo? Well, some strange things happen with this. I mean, I didn't plan on it. It's, um, I didn't have any thoughts about it. I didn't cruise the Amityville place. I have better things to do. You know, it just, I mean, everybody, you know, so the Amityville horror, okay, you know, um, read the book years ago, you know, was, I, I myself am fascinated with otherworldly things and, you know, wanted to see, uh, probably as a teenager, you know, oh, was this true, you know, but I was on a South Shore for the first time ever. And I was on the Karen McCaffrey case. That was the the show that was on Medium PI. Mm-hmm. And I was there with Sean, the captain. And we do we were doing in front of the camera what we do all the time, trying to solve a case. And you know I was I already knew, you know. So it's. I'm starting from the last page of the book, and I'm waiting for him to catch up to me. <laughs> so, you know, we had a lot of other cases. This case was, the parents came to me. I said it was a homicide, not an accident. Then we have to go out and prove it. I can't, you know, you can't just say something. You have to prove it now. You have to back it up with evidence, and, you know, hopefully there's an arrest involved and a confession or something which would be fabulous so in any event this was the case that was to go on tv i don't pick it sean didn't pick it so they put this on tv and it was to help the family now we get to the part where needless to say it rained every single day it was freezing out it was in march and we had to get on these yachts and dive for any evidence that was left in the canal and also in the body of water of the South Shore. So we're on the yacht, and I, you know, I started feeling sort of a little bit disoriented. Um, and I knew, I felt like something was coming. I sort of felt like I was on and off in a daze. Now, I knew a lot of people were getting sick, uh, be it the weather or, the, you know, the natural elements of being out in water. And it was ice cold. So, you know, we were suiting up, and I was ready to go. The divers... The cameras uh, went underwater to watch the dive. I knew there was nothing in there. I knew there was nothing in there. But you see, that's TV for you. Yeah. (laughs) So I was, you know, bitching about I didn't want to go in this cold water. Uh, You know, and I said, all right, you know, you got to do what you got to do. If the folks know anything about diving, a dry suit is very heavy, and plus they put tons of weights in you to hold you down. So, you know, 
Sean, Sean said, oh, yeah, there's a cell phone down there. There's cell phone. I said, there's no cell phone down there. Don't be ridiculous. You know, I said, you go ahead down first. I'll push you in. He was getting suited up. It started out as I knew there was something wrong with his tank. So, you know, I was trying to fix it. He was trying to get adjusted. I was trying to get adjusted. Things weren't going right. I remember walking up to the front of the yacht and mentioning to the captain of the yacht, I wanted to know how far the Amityville house was from there. And he told me it was maybe, you know, a few miles down. And he said, why? And he, you know, I just said, I don't know. I said, I just wanted to know. Now, you're mic'd up, and, of course, your producers are saying, you know, this is costing a lot of money. <laughs> sure. Mind you, we had rescue divers in case we needed them, plus boats on to the side that people don't see loaded down with camera crew, and then you have other folks in your boat, you know, just watching every move you make. And everybody paid by the hour. <laughs> Yeah, so, and, and you know, it was, like I said, it was a very, very cold, there was something about that day, even the trees moved a little bit different. So, you know, as Sean was going into the water and I was, I was suiting and, and, you know, checking the levels of oxygen, and then I noticed that Sean's watch stopped, and it was, I, I brought this protection doll. I, you know, the chief of police has a mojo bag I made for him years ago. <laughs> and I also made a voodoo doll of him, and, and I, I carry it around just to make fun of him about it, you know. But in any event, we brought it on board, and we were, you know, we were all messing around, and, and I gave it an offering, and it was just for our protection. And I felt that we needed it for some reason. And, and like I said, Sean went in, and I was following and I stopped because I heard shotguns. Now, my first instinct, my first instinct was there are, people didn't want us on that canal. We brought too much attention to, you know, middle America drug problem. Mm-hmm. And that's what this case was around. So, and plus there were several cars following us all the time. Uh, I guess they didn't want to, you know, get caught. So they wanted to keep an eye on us. You know, it was the, it was the, the cat following the mouse. So I got worried, and I said to Sean, did you hear the, uh, the shotguns? And he said, no. I looked over at the producers. Nobody heard anything. Then I looked over at the captain of the boat, and he said, the boat died. And I said, what do you mean the boat died? Like, how did the boat just die? And he said, I don't know, it just stopped. And I remember he had a rosary hanging right near the steering equipment. And I saw it swaying. Now, mind you, where it is inside the yacht, it's closed in. And that was the warmest place. And nothing was moving. And then I saw the compass spin. And I was like, wow, we're, uh, we're going into dark waters, you know. Mm-hmm. 
So, needless to say, nothing was found because there was nothing there. So it was like I told you so type of thing. Everybody started getting sick on the boat. There was a camera guy. He was throwing up. He just started throwing up. He became very ill. And Sean came down with high fever. We got him out of the water. And he came up on the wrong side of the boat. And I was trying to pull him up. So what I did was, you know, I didn't understand for the life of me why you didn't have a rescue ladder on both sides. But I'm not, I don't run the boat. I'm just there, Mm -hmm. you know. So I had to grab a pole and pull Sean around to the other side. Now, mind you, we have weights in us, and you're very heavy in water. So I, I saw my hands bleeding. My knuckles were bleeding. I was trying to get him out of the water. I get him out of the water, and the only thing I remember is pulling his mask off, looking at him, and he said to me, what did you see? And I walked to the edge of the boat. I don't even know how I stood on there because it was so slippery. And I pointed and I said, Ronnie's coming. Yeah. Now, mind you, they didn't want to hear this because we were on a homicide. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, you know, you got to focus on this. I said, I already know what happened with this. But Ronnie's coming. So we break up for the day. I come home. Everybody had a fever. Everybody had a fever. This is when all that sickness started. Somebody came down with the swine flu. Sean had pneumonia. I had pneumonia. We all had high fever. Three weeks later, I decided... I was just going to write, I had my assistant get me his address because there was some things going on in my house. I was waking up with sweats and, you know, you can say, okay, maybe it was from pneumonia. I was okay after that. And I was waking up from sweats. I was always going to the doctor. He said there was nothing wrong at that point. Aside from some allergies, I was like, all right, why am I waking up and seeing things? Why, you know, why is my dog barking at a a blank wall? Why is my cat walking backwards? Why is this shit happening to me? Wow, cat walking backwards, that's creepy. Yeah, it really was. It was like right down the hallway, and there was so many things that was going on. Um, I just... I, I couldn't even list them, you know. I remember Will saying, you know, something held him down. I woke up with um, a lot of bruises on me, and I don't bruise easy. And I didn't even notice it until I got into the shower. And I was startled because they were huge. Uh, just a, a lot, so many different things. So I wrote Ronnie a few sentences, and I said, what do you want? And he wrote me back. And right away, and he said he was waiting, and he needed help. And it went on from there. It took a snowball. And I knew, you know, now that I look back after, 
I don't know, like a year and a half or whatever. I I lost track of time and space dealing with this, and I I remember looking out the window and seeing, you know, the tree bare and then seeing it green and then seeing it change again, and it seemed like I was stuck in somebody else's world, and I needed to find my way out. But what I found was, and this is going to probably shock a lot of people because I haven't spoke of it, and this is the first time I found myself in the middle of an exorcism. And everything you're about to see tomorrow night is true. So Ron DeFeo was actually possessed by some sort of demonic force? It was, I was involved. You know, I get, them, I get them all the time. I get them all the time. You know, people come to me and devil's in me, Jackie, devil's in me, devil, this is happening because of, I have Duteru's on me, I have this, the horns, everything you can think of, the evil eye, everything you can think of. And I sit there and I listen to them and I, I'm like, wow, you know, if only they knew they were their worst enemies. And, you know, it's like you don't want to take responsibility for your own falling in life. I don't even want to say failure, because we all have that. But, you know, it it always has to be something sinister and dark. But I was involved in two exorcisms that were completely profound and changed my life. And... This probably takes the cake over the one that I never spoke about in Haiti. And it was, uh, I couldn't turn my back on it. And I'll tell you why. Because I knew that whatever was in Ronnie would find its way home here to me if I didn't do something. You see, be it Ronnie or what lives inside of him, was contacting me through a psyche, him writing, sometimes it writing, sometimes him calling, sometimes it speaking. I knew if I turned my back and said, I can't deal with this, you know, people say, I can't have this in my perimeter of space. Well, Guess what? The minute you do that, it belongs to you. Because you turn to your back. You see, karma can't just be, excuse me, you do something and then something bounces back. If you turn your back, therefore, it has what it wants. It knows your weakness. Mm-hmm. So I dove into it, and man, I thought I've seen hell before, but I've seen it. And uh, some strange things happened. I mean, I don't, I don't know how he survived, 
going on 36 years with this. And it lived inside of him all this time? You know, the only way I can describe it is that there's a little, there's a little glimpse once in a while that you get of, did you ever feel like happy for some reason? Like this good feeling come over you and you embrace it and you run with it. Mm-hmm. But with them, it only lasts for maybe a second. It's like you're asleep and all of a sudden a light switch goes on. It lets you know that you're still being tormented and it's shut off. So at times in the beginning, the hate in Ronnie was incredible. The hate, the, the vengeance, everything that I dealt with. It was is, this something, <clears throat> is this something, Jackie, that found him? Something he sought out and just, you know, like, no. a, like a fire, you know, went out of control? I mean, I mean no. what exactly is his kind of, uh, his culpability with allowing this stuff in? You see, you, you got a combination, you, and, you know, a lot of people may disagree, but I went in full force. I had carte blanche to deal with it, from the prison to Ronnie to to my superiors in my in my temple. I had carte blanche to deal with it to the point where Ronnie signed over power of attorney to me, and. He was fearful of death, and he is terminally ill, and he didn't want to die with this in him. And what I saw was, at times, the devil himself, and I felt like I was zapped right out of my moment and pulled into the darkest place I have ever seen. And changing of voices, everything you can think of. Everything. And it was living and breathing in him. So, okay, we have a man that was prosecuted for the murders, but nobody helped his soul. So, do you seek this out? Absolutely not. You have to be very careful. You have to be very careful. I've been dealing with Ronnie for over a year and a half every day. Wow. And I can tell you that the change in him is unbelievable. The things he's going to say, you would never think would come out of his mouth. But, you know, a lot of people aren't going to like it. Number one, his wife. There's a website up called Amityville The Truth. Mm -hmm. It should be called Amityville 
fraud. Because that website was Ronnie's idea many years ago. And it was to, I think he was looking for some help. I want to say that. And then, you know, this person marries him in prison. And, like, you can't find a guy outside, you know. Yeah, but you know the type. I mean, it's, there's yeah. a type. There's a type. But what's horrible is that while I'm working on this and have permission, you know, you need permission from other things, too, not just the warden. You need permission from, how should I put this? Without saying too much, I don't want to ruin it for anyone. You need religious permission. So by dealing with this, I had to get an order of protection. I mean, that's easy for me to get. Mm -hmm. But I don't think, this is, this is the cruel part. I don't think people wanted him to get help. So you say, but you're helping a murderer. No one, no doubt, no doubt what happened. You know, I'm not there to prosecute you. The law already did. Mm -hmm. Don't forget, that's my job to put people behind bars. But the law already did. You reached your hand out to save your soul. If I walked away from that. What kind of person would that make me? Exactly. And not just that. I'm going to tell you something. I didn't tell this to anybody. Actually, Ronnie and only my family knows this. But I always thought, you know, people would say to me, what was your first psychic experience? And... This is why I say you're never too you're never too old to say, Wow, I learned something. You know, I thought it was when I was about five or six when I saw this little boy in my room and my mom used to counsel the mother and they would speak Creole and I would have to occupy this little boy who was in a high chair with braces on. And I knew we were the same age, and it used to frighten me that he was so different, like he couldn't get down. I knew he couldn't eat by himself, and it would scare me. And I was a quiet kid. And I would watch, and my mother would tell me to play with the boy while she talked to the mother. But it never seemed like they were talking. always seemed like they were grieving for something. And in any event, I didn't see this little boy. I didn't have to go play with him for quite some time, maybe about a week or two. When you're a kid, time you, time you don't know about at five or six. So I started seeing him in my room, standing up. And I wasn't fearful. He was, it was kind. He was kind. And there was no speaking the way we're speaking. 
he gave me the images. And I would see him run up and down the stairs. We had an old plantation. We had, my mother used to work out of this old shack near the bayou, but we lived in an old plantation. And I would see this little boy run up and down the stairs. And I didn't say nothing. I go back in my room. One night my mom came in. She looked right over at him. And she looked at me and she told me to let him go. And then as time went on, I got a little older. She told me he was in a better place where he had no more pain and he can run free. So I understood because I was brought up around this. Mm -hmm. But something hit me and it clicked when I was talking to Ronnie when he told me that I went to hell. And I realized something very frightening. I remember I was no more than four years old. My brother Michael, he had to babysit me. And my parents went out. I was sitting on my bed, and you know, Michaels always have a reputation, I know. And he was always, you know, the slick one. He was real smart. You know, he used to make his own ink, and we were real Louisiana kids. He always bring a snake home or something crazy. Mm-hmm. And my, I remember my folks saying they didn't want nobody in the house when we were gone, when they were gone. The minute they left, Michael had a girl in the house. And that was, well, that was Michael. In any event, I was sitting on my bed. He gave me some toys to play with. And I remember looking up, and this huge face from probably the mid-chest up was looking around my room, came right through the wall. I remember screaming, and my brother running in, the girl running in, and he grabbed me. He looked at it. He grabbed me and ran out. I, he was pissed. The girl ran. But we spoke about it often. And he said, you know, he told my parents what happened. And But what was so profound about this, I was going through photos of Ronnie DeFeo. And when I came to a certain photo of a mugshot, that was the face I saw. When you were four years old? When I was four years old. And Ronnie and I went over everything. We go over every detail. And everything is taped. Four years old. It was 1966. And I saw his face when he was arrested. I saw him. He he wasn't looking at me. He was looking as though he knew he was in a strange place around the room. It was, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. It was the craziest thing. And to realize this all these years later that... Ronnie DeFeo's face I saw in my room, it was pretty frightening. 
I mean, I didn't, I don't even know why, and I'm a lot sharper than that, why I didn't connect it or didn't realize it. And I think I was just so consumed of helping him because I was so close to ridding this malignant being inside of him. Now, we talk this evening, Ronnie, myself, and his words were exactly to tell you, because I told him I was doing a radio show, was, let's hope it doesn't get loose again. You know... Oh, my God. It was very frightening. And, um, you know, we, we have normal conversations now where, as in the beginning... There was a lot of crazy things happening, you know. I mean, Jackie, this is not just his story we're going to get tomorrow night. I mean, this is, nor is it, you know, the you know the fog is coming in, you're arriving in a cab. This has been uh, an odyssey for you for the past year and a half, almost two years now. It's been a um, while. How has this, this impacted you? Tell, the, tell people well, some it, of the things it, that uh, I, I've kind of shared some of the things just when you call me. <laughs> And yeah. we talk about some of the stuff that happens, the residual stuff, but, I mean, how, is it, how has it been for you touching this? Well, I, I tell you the truth, I, um, I feel like I aged. I, I'm worn. I'm worn. I've had six sinus infections in a row, you know, dealing with, um, with this. Uh, when I had to go up, and mind you, the first time I went up to the prison was to do the show. I didn't go up there. It was to do the show, and then I had to go back to do something else. But when I did this, I came out, and I was actually going to stay at this little bed and breakfast in town there, but I looked in the mirror and my face was swollen. And I came down with high fever. I was fine when I walked in there. So I needed to get home. And it was, um, I had uh, a bacteria in the sinus cavity within probably an hour of being around Ronnie. You know, uh, a lot of strange things are, um, you know, there was something that happened. Uh, you know, I'm leaving from Brooklyn, so, you, you know, you put in your GPS your address and where you're going, Green Haven, and you try to find out the most simplest way to get there because it's a hike. And, I'm, you know, I'm not fond of, like, traveling like that. I'm not a big traveler. I don't like it. So as we were going up there and we were checking the GPS, it was bringing us back to Ronnie's old address. So everything was screwed up. Everybody would get lost. It also happened with the camera crew. You're saying that the GPS was bringing you back to... To Ocean Avenue? Exactly. 
Exactly. There was a there was a lot of things that you know my family had to endure. I mean, I have a whole intercom system in the house, and it just makes it bigger. It makes it better if you have a big place because if you need to, you know, see what's going on upstairs. Or, you, these are natural things, and there was no one in the house at one point, but Joanna, myself, and a client, and I was sitting. At, Joanne was sitting at the desk, and I was sitting on the sofa with the client in the lounge, and there was no one upstairs at all. The alarm system was on, everything I can see through the cameras, what's going on all over the place. And through the intercom system, there was uh, Joanne's voice came through, and she was sitting next to me. She was sitting at the desk facing the client and myself. We were all sitting around, and it's the same thing that happened in the telephone. I heard Joanne's voice say, Ma, Ma, and we all just looked at each other. And, of course, <coughs> excuse me, I had to tell the client, oh, that's just a little spirit playing a little joke joke on us. Because, you know, I mean, they're, they're looking to run. They're like, what the hell is that? And it was Joanne's voice as a child. So there was a lot of things, you know. Two of my cats yeah. passed away. Now let me ask you, I mean, because <clears throat> I've been kind of hearing this from you for about a year now. I remember you called and you were kind of asking my advice on it, what I thought you should do, and and the advice that I gave you was pack up everything, because you were having some pretty, you know, intense things happen. Exactly. And I, you might was my response was, you need to pack everything up, Send it back. Say absolutely not. Um, right. Why did you move forward? With all this stuff already going on and people were getting I'm sick gonna and seeing things. And this is very important. 36, this thing fell on me. It fell on me like a ton of bricks. And I knew, you know, I remember many times my mother always told me, don't walk away from the bully because they're going to push you in the back so hard you're going to fall on your face. And I thought about that, and I thought about what was going on, and I thought about how vulnerable my family can become. And then I thought about what a strong person I am. And then I thought about how many times I did face something like this. Probably, you know, equally frightening. Um, you know, I've, I've seen things that and been involved in things that most people just read about or watch on TV. But I knew that at one point the church turned their back on him. I knew this. I knew this for a fact. This Everything I'm telling you is documented. And I knew that his soul needed to be saved. I knew it was in a vault of horror. I also knew that if I didn't do it, something real bad was going to happen to someone real innocent. So I had to do it. I had no choice. And in doing so, 
know, you 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 earn your strike. You earn your I, strike. Yeah, I guess my, my next question I was going to ask you is that, you know, you and I have talked about other things that we probably can't get into on the air, but the basic point of it being, or the result being that um, something might be coming to reclaim you in ways. Well, I understand Is this a round one by Jackie? Well, if I walked away, it would have by now. It would have by now. It was, you, you see, sometimes, I'm going to give you an example. The people, everybody saw the exorcist. You know, was it really the little girl they wanted or that priest? Right, right. Mm-hmm. So it, it attacked that little girl, in reality a little boy, but it attacked him and made sure the priest would come. But some fights you can't back away. You can't. Because then it will get something closer to you. And I was worried about Joanne. I mean, you know, I know I what I could handle. And I know, you know, what I need to back from. But um, I didn't have a choice. I knew I didn't have a choice. I knew... I knew it was time that I needed to prepare to get into my own boxing ring. And you're right, Chris. I remember calling you one night and saying, what the hell am I getting myself into? Well, guys, I'd, li- I'd like to definitely keep going with this a little bit late, if that's okay with you. We just got to pause 10 seconds here to run the legal ID, and then uh, we, can, we can keep co- going with this conversation, if that's fine with you guys. Sure. Okay, here we go. First with local news, talk, and sports, this is WBSM New Bedford, Citadel Broadcasting, AM 1420, WBSM. All right, and so we were talking about uh, this, this, I don't even know what to call it. Uh, would you say that it was a demon? Would you say that it was the devil himself that had actually worked his way into Ron DeFeo? It was the devil. And, you know, I don't, you, you, you don't want to say was too soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I like to be careful with my wording. Um, were there demons around this? Most certainly. Were there other prisoners? i give you a little bit, maybe, being haunted. Yes. Yes. You know, there was one prison that, Ronnie's been in several prisons, but there was one in particular that um, housed him for no more than seven hours in the basement when the warden superintendent found out who was there, you're out. He didn't want that. Now, mind you, these prisons, Attica, you know, Clinton, Sullivan, 
these are all sing sing these are all maximum security you did your dirty deed on society to get there. You sold your soul in many different ways. So we're talking about some hardcore people, you know, to, to cause bodily harm and death and multiple deaths. I mean... You know, for a warden to say, you're not going to be in my place, that's a big thing. You know, I once spoke to someone in Angola prison. Angola, Louisiana, that's the chain gang. They wouldn't take him there if he was in Louisiana. You know, there's something there. And I have to ask again, did, did, did he... Did he ask for this to happen? I, I know that now he might, you know... No, I'm going to tell you what happened. ...be a sympathetic figure, but, but did, did he is, ask to be a vehicle for this? He didn't. He didn't. And there's a lot of things the public doesn't... They just don't know. But he didn't ask for this to happen. It's a combination. You have heavy drugs, violence, abuse, things that, you know, we, we couldn't even fathom. You know, we, we live our lives as peaceful as possible. You know, you are a time bomb. You know what you are? You're a pressure cooker, and you're just waiting for that to, to happen. This was building for years. This was harvesting in this person in this family in his surroundings this was happening a long time you know there was um, there's been other cases around that area as well you know this is you look at the person's background and you see the breakdown of the institute of the home your home is your sanctuary you see everything that is going haywire. And then, you know, not, not the, the first owners, maybe, that the parents bought the house from, but there was uh, an owner of the house that was um, into devil worshiping at one point. That never came out, I believe. So you have the ground and then something, something that nobody knows of. You see, Ronnie will tell you all tomorrow. Only two people know the truth. Well, in his words, there were several people. The others are dead. And then there's Jackie and himself. He never told the truth before. Because part of this is you don't get a minute of my time. Consider me a human lie detector. You don't get a minute of my time 
if you're going to lie. Demon or no demon. And you have to be careful for the trickery. But there was some, there's something, I'm going to tell you this. If anyone really knew what those grounds are, nobody would live there. Look, I come from a family of hardcore, hardcore people, you know, I've I've learned from the best of them. The the one of the best philosophers I have ever been around and I consider him probably the most honest person I know. And that's including next to any law enforcement I ever worked with was the honorable Dr. Anton Lovey. And I will tell you that there is no one I know that would want to live there or be on the ground. And it's no American Indian, so you can get that all yeah, out of well, here. We, we don't talk about that movie. We don't talk about that theory here. There's no, you can blow that out the back of someone's ass. It didn't happen. Because what I uncovered is so friggin' gruesome that, you know, like I said, I've seen a lot. I've been around a lot. You know, I don't believe that you can learn, you know, something without really being around it and learning. And people have a lot of horrible stories to tell. You know, oh, Anton LaVey was a cannibalist. You know, people say stories... There's a story about me being married to Ronnie DeFeo on the Internet. Well, of course, that's by his wife. You know, but what the hell is that about? You know, if you're going to believe everything, then that's your choice. You know, that's why. Are we going to find out these details in the documentary, or, yes. or are they still being kept under wraps? Well, you know... Um, I, I, did think, I think slide. I did. I would love to be told. I don't think there's anyone listening right now that's not going to watch this documentary, no matter what. <laughs> I know, right no now. kidding. I did confide in you, uh, Christopher, that I had so much documented, and I broke my back saving this man's soul, and I took on something in myself that I had to make sure came out. So how many exorcisms were there? There have to be two. Thank you. But I have so much that, um, yes, indeed, I, I um, was, I'm very pleased to announce that I signed on with an incredible uh, literary agent, and hopefully this will be an extreme eye-opener, but I let out so much that TV could possibly allow. Because when I do TV, there's no rating on it. I don't believe in holding anything back and saying, oh, did you see this? And then it's like the camera shakes and you, no. 
Nothing like that. Nothing. Nothing like that. I dug for bodies. You name it, I did it. And, you know, you you have your stripes and you have your war wounds. And, you know, people now say, oh, I haven't seen you and I haven't... Well, you know, I say to them, oh, yeah, I've been in my chamber working. Well, it's uh, I had to get rid of something, too. Now, are we dealing with a different person? We're dealing with a different person. But now, can you imagine remembering details? Do you, you know, he called me up and he said, and the only reason why um, we're, we are still in contact is the memoirs that we're doing. But he called me up and said to me, um, I remember and I wish I didn't because I feel for the first time in my life and it's so painful. He remembers November 13th, 1974? Exactly. He remembers. And what I did was, you see, I can do something that I, I, don't, I don't know, you know, how many people can do it. I've, I've seen my mother do it, and I was doing it at a pretty young age, probably about seven. I can go into my own zone, and how I get there, I can't reveal. But when I do, I'm able to transfer what I have and take on what you have. Everything. I can become you. Now I have to get rid of it before it attacks. So, Ronnie left fast. He was running because he felt good for the first time in his life and leaving the prison that day. They made me wait in a, in a cage, in a holding cell. Nobody wanted to come near this. But I'm okay now, folks. So. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing. But uh, and but you did say that you you're hesitant to use the word was that you think that this still could have some kind of oh control. Devil is trickery. Devil is trickery. And we must give them respect. When you don't respect your enemies, they will beat your ass. You must give respect. You know, giving respect, people say, oh, does that make Jackie devil worshiper? I am not a devil worshiper. I need to clear this up. You know, you just need to... You need to 
dot your I's and cross your T's, and you need to know how powerful something can be. Because if you don't respect it, it's, it's a very stupid move. If you don't respect that a gun in your hand can kill someone, if you don't respect these things, if you don't have the knowledge, you are playing in dark water. Do not jump in the pool if you can't swim. I mean, how do you acknowledge or how do you respect without seemingly inviting it in? Uh, I think that's something that a lot of people in are normal deal with. Inviting it in is something different. It's completely different. No one put a welcome sign up. But you have to respect, you know, you have to respect the power of the darker force that, yes, indeed, you know, if you cross it, if you do something, if you, you know, if you challenge it, you're going to have a fight on your hands. So that's what I am talking about, the level of respect. And the sad thing that I realize is that, you know, because of these horrible murders and crimes, and yes, indeed, I use horrible and senseless, because of this, there should have been an exorcism. There should have been certain things done. They, other people could have been in jeopardy, even imprisoned. And to one soul, how godly, how godly are we to turn our back on somebody that needed saving? When you think about it, and everybody says, that's dark, this is evil, this is this. Well, you just let evil win, didn't you? So had he asked for help before, though? I mean, it's... it's Yes. It's, uh, yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. But there course, was, much more like I can tell you next, this. Like a, a legal defense as opposed to genuine help when no. he says it in that circumstance, right? This is, this is documented fact. There was an exorcism in that house that was not completed and their back was turned before this happened. It was a failed one. Prior to the murders. Prior. Prior to the murders. Prior to the murders, there was things going on that if you didn't, that's what I'm talking about. Diligence, diligence, power, respect, and God damn you, glue your feet to that ground and stand up. Stand up to that enemy. You know, it's amazing how many people would say, you know, Jackie, you, you dabble on the dark side. I think they say that because they can't do what I do. I don't dabble on the dark side. To me, there's only one side. It is what it is. Why? Because I could face what people run from? I don't. I think like a lot of people want our psychics to be warm and fuzzy, and, and I actually just posted in the, you know, I see your uncle, and here's what he's looking for, and you're not that. <laughs> because I am going to put it up front for you. I am going to put it up front for you. 
I had a client. You're not, you're not called the white serpent because. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I don't. Like I don't throw rose petals around. I, you know, I don't do that. I don't do that. My beliefs are, you know, very, very strong, and I don't turn my back on a doubt of the magic that we perform, because once you do, it takes everything back. You know, we are calling. When you pray, when people pray, you're praying to a spirit, be it Jesus, be it saints. You're praying to spirits. They're no longer in flesh. The flesh leaves. The spirit is forever. You are honoring the spirit. Well, we do the same. And you must recognize that indeed there are different levels. There are different entities. There are demons. There are ghosts. There are many things. There are many things. We can't just say, oh, just Aunt Lucy is going to come into our world today and... You know, her spirit brings, um, you know, yellow roses and leaves the scent of um, apple pie. No. You might get the spirit that comes into your world in the form of a deformed animal. Watch for those because they're out there. And leave the smell of rotting meat next to you. That's when you know, look, you got something you got to deal with. You got to take it away. I have menacing spirits in my house. I'm okay with them. You know, we we could share the same space. I'm not greedy. I don't take up too much room. <laughs> you mentioned that they come in the form of, of a deformed animal. Yes, I've seen that. It seems like they can't get it right. You know, always watch for that because. Demons can't get certain things right. Okay, here's my folklore alarm, and that's like a classic uh, telltale. Uh, if you're dealing with the devil, you look for, you know, or, or demons, you look for. Everything looks perfect except for one thing. The most common thing being the the uh, clothed hooves, but the uh, hoof. but there's yeah, that's that same kind of thing. They can't get it 100 percent right. Exactly, they can't get it right. Be it, you know, they're missing something like an eye or, you know, like you said, the the, the feet, you know, um, the, the hooves, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. If I was Satan, I'd wear Prada. I don't think you can squeeze a hoof into that, you know. Can you I'm, tell, how easily can you tell the difference? Do you get fooled? You know what, there's, uh, I'm sure I can. There's uh, there's something about it, you know. I've been around it my whole life, and you know, there's it just creeps up in you. You know, I've have yeah, I've had people in my family. If you ever watch Lord of Illusion, you probably track down most of my family. Wow. So right. you know, they're very very powerful in what they can do. And, you know, I've seen it, I, I know about it, and it's, um, you know, it's, it's great to, to have that education, you know, and, I mean, look at here, what's that movie where those, where those, uh, 
the, the yuppie couple jumps in the water and they get they get eaten up by the sharks, right? Now, so, uh, the deep water or something like yeah, that. Well, why you go ahead and 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 be an outcast and not mingle with the folks so everyone knows you're there? It's like you know you you didn't learn something. And if that don't beat all, there was a part two. So if you didn't learn the first go around, you're gonna learn the second. You know. So what I'm saying is like, you know, people are like, oh no, I I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't like. It's not what you like. It's not what you like. It's what's there. So either you coexist and realize it's there. You know, what's the difference between me and an exorcist? Is it because, you know, they, they wear a collar? You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's um, the collar turned their back on him. I do have to say, because we're, we're going to run out of time here, and I know I could keep going with this all night, and hopefully Jackie will come back and join us again sometime so we can continue this discussion. But one thing I do want to ask is, from a paranormal standpoint, you know, everybody's fascinated with what happened after the murders and when the Lutz family moved in. Did Ron give you any kind of uh, insight into that, into their story, or is it possible that even though this the, the devil basically left inside of Ronnie DeFeo, is it possible that there still was something happening in the house to that Lutz family? You know, I know a lot about it. There's there's so much that I know about that um, and what happened. Did something happen there? I'm sure it did. You know, I'm sure it did. But here's one that, you know, I can leave you with. Did the Lutz know Ronnie before they bought the house? Wait, hello. Uh, Let me ask you that. Did the Lutz family (laughs) know Ronnie before they bought the house? Hell yeah. So, you know, you got to know what you're doing, too. I mean... You know, I mean, you go to buy something, you want, you know, you want to know what it is. And oh, you mean they knew they knew of what happened there? Nah, that's not what I said. See, I can't say too much. Oh, come on, you can't leave. Is, are you going to say it in the special tomorrow night? I don't know. I don't remember. Let me Oh, <laughs> all right, that's all. What are you doing next Saturday night, Jackie? That's <laughs> they, I can tell you that, um, uh, Ronnie, Ronnie met him bef- way before the murder. I can say that. Uh, was it? Were they in some sort of same circle, or was it a, a happenstance meeting? Um, sort of. I know. You know, if it was up to me, man, I would just tell you everything because I'm just like that. I roll like that. That's it. Don't bother me. How can it bother me when I went into Green Haven, you know, and came out with a demon? <laughs> that's true. What yeah. the hell? If that's, if but that... I do want to say that if Tracy DeFeo keeps photoshopping my picture, I'm going to go to South Carolina, I'm going to put my foot far up her asshole and let her choke on it. So what you're saying is you would not be open to coming <laughs> on to a show where it's uh, you and Tracy on a panel and we can have some crosstalk. <laughs> <laughs> It would be more like South Park or something. Well, what's that other bullshit thing with the claymation in the uh, in the ring there? 
Oh, celebrity death match? Yeah, what the hell? Shoot. I would just, you know, I, I don't know. There's some crazy stuff happening. There's some crazy, there's some whacked out stuff happening in this world. Well, I mean, I I just know it would be fascinating to to hear both sides of that happening at the same time because I've heard Tracy DeFeo's side in the past uh, on other programs, and now that we've heard, you know, Ron's side through you, um, it, it just yeah. Seemed... As far as I'm concerned, she's smart. She's got two lawyers on her back from New York City. She's got an arrest warrant out on her. She's, um, by Ronnie's words, pleading for help. She's holding his case file, um, you know, uh, which you're not allowed to, you know, to hold on to anybody's uh, case file, and also, you know, some things that are his. See, this is not my fight. See, she failed to realize her and him is not my fight. I have nothing going on against uh, with uh, her and him. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care who you marry. I don't care what you do. This was, uh, you know, somebody I was helping that in turn turned out to be a show and then more than. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, she can go crawl back in her hole, you know, or better yet, just knock on my door. There you go. <laughs> just knock on my door. But in any event, she's got this enlightenment bullshit thing going on and all this other stuff that she was enlightened and, you know... But I can assure anybody who is listening to this, I do not and did not go right on her blog on the truth about Amityville. I would not waste my time. I don't even speak like that because I would just have two words. You probably know what they are, and the other one is I think blow you it said out. It a few times. <laughs> yeah, I probably said it a few times. And the other one is blow it out your ass. You know, I'm a, I'm a sharp-tongued person. I don't hold anything back. I do not go on and on. I'm not going to write that. I don't even write my bills out. I'm going to write that. Come on. Yeah, well, and again, we said it earlier, there's a type. And she well, definitely seems to fit you know, that type. In all defense on Ronnie's side, or anybody else incarcerated, if I was incarcerated... Hells yeah, I'd want to marry somebody on the outside. You get your leg work done for you. You get someone to talk to on the outside. You get up to date, you know. But the other person, come on. What do you get out of this? Hmm. All right, well, why don't we uh, just we'll leave it with that, and we'll say hopefully you can come back and, and share more with us sometime, not only about this case, but about your just your experiences. I mean, I, I can't remember a show when I've sat here and just listened and not jumped in with questions. And in the chat room, I can tell you, everybody was fascinated by what was going on. So tomorrow night, if you want to find out, hopefully, all the pieces of the story, uh, tomorrow night at 8 o'clock on A&E Amityville, the final testament. Uh, you'll you'll see Jackie Barrett, our guest tonight, and, and Ronald DeFeo Jr. sharing the, the full final inside story of the Amityville murders. So, uh, Jackie, thank you so much for joining us. Well, and, thank and you for having me. We'd love to have you back anytime. You know. Oh, happy Halloween. And to you as well. Very good. Have a good night, everyone. Good night. Bye, Jackie. Thank you for coming on. You got it, Chris. 
and and Chris, we want to thank you too for for making this happen and for setting up a an excellent program and continuing our streak. I mean, we, you said to me two months ago, how are we going to top what we did last Halloween? I think that we've really taken care of that tonight. I completely different approach to it, but oh my word. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and everybody's thanking you in the chat room too. And I'm sure we'll be getting emails and, and, uh, don't forget, you can email Chris at, uh, Balzano at spookysouthcoast.com if you want to let him know, uh, what you thought of the show. And, and I, I'm going to go back and listen to this one quite a few times because, uh, there, at least three or four, uh, moments where I just, my jaw dropped and I said, I can't believe she just said that. And I'm not talking about the cuss words either. So, especially, I, I can't believe that sh- there was a message to me from Ron DeFeo. That blows my mind. So, all right. Well, Chris, thank you so much. Happy Halloween to you. And to everybody out there, happy Halloween. Uh, we will be back next week, and uh, we can hopefully talk about some of these revelations that come out of the special. And uh, we'll also talk more about the paranormal each and every Saturday night from 10 to midnight, and occasionally until 12.30 when we <laughs> feel like we have to go over. And I can't just wait, not only for the F- potential FCC fines, uh, but also for the uh, the fact that we didn't run the news break two hours in a row. So, But it was so worth it. All right, so until next week, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, for Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spectacular and have a happy Halloween.